welcome to B-Side, where we revisit business world stories and tell a few of our own. Without a sentinel surveillance system, tech entrepreneurs Paul Rivera and Danny Cassonguet believe that the country is flying blind when it comes to the coronavirus outbreak. Without reliable numbers and a way to process those numbers, those who are tasked with protecting us can't identify trends and get ahead of the virus. According to the World Health Organization, a sentinel surveillance system is used when high-quality data are needed about a particular disease. It can be used to monitor and detect when and where an outbreak starts. Paul and Danny are behind COVID Sentinel AI, a platform that can help policymakers and business leaders make informed decisions based on self-reported data. So the word sentinel comes from the military, and it's the idea of having eyes that are on the defensive that help you quickly detect threats and then manage them. The sentinels have a way to mitigate and then to really defeat them ultimately. Obviously, we're dealing with viruses which are invisible threats to the naked eye, but very visible in their impact on the people who are affected, but also on, on our daily lives, right? And we're all suffering from the consequences. The COVID Sentinel AI platform is available in Tagalog, with several other dialects on the way. It's also mobile-friendly and can be accessed on any device. And it provides an easy way for system administrators to follow up. The reason this project is important for the Philippines is we really don't have a uh, surveillance system. We aren't doing a lot of testing at the barangay level. I don't see any technology or tools being used other than lockdowns. I think having a technology-enabled surveillance system can allow us to identify kind of the next outbreak. Paul and Danny pointed out that we're already collecting data. Think of the temperature checks they take at the entrance of every building. Where is that data being stored? How is that data being utilized? Imagine if that temperature data can actually go into a Sentinel system so that we can begin to see kind of actual trends that are emerging to provide monitoring and to provide insight that can ultimately help people get back to work. In this episode, Paul Rivera and Danny Castonguay explain COVID Sentinel AI to Business World reporter Jillian Cortez. I actually signed up for an account with COVID Sentinel. Could you explain what is this dashboard that we see right here? So there's tracker for temperature, breathing difficulty, and other health checks. Is this system meant only to monitor if I have possible symptoms for COVID? Or can this be used for tracking other sicknesses? That's a great question. We actually have the source of the medical expertise comes from doctors that are affiliated with the University of Montreal, as well as the University of Chicago. And we are expanding quickly the fields and the researchers and would certainly welcome additional doctors from the Philippines to join and help us increase the scope of questions. What you see here is just the tip of the iceberg. All you see is the patient app that has been released so far in the Philippines. But there's a whole other set of elements that go into the COVID Sentinel. One is the dashboard for health workers. For example, as a doctor who works in a hospital and who might want to send COVID positive or even other sicknesses, right? In the future, we can support additional diseases. 
and you send them home because people are better at home unless they need a respirator, right? But in, in a lot of cases, if the symptoms are mild, you just want to go home and be with your close family and monitor your symptoms from a distance. So all of that aspect is not shown to you. Another aspect that you don't see currently is the, the government portal. So for policymakers, yeah. it's important that they have a view, a global view on those stats that, that arrives in real time. And in addition to the sentinel system that you see there for patients, there's the sentinel system for sewage also, which allows governments to and cities and municipalities to understand better the evolution from an aggregate point of view, right? In terms of concentration of the virus in the sewage. In addition to that, there's also an employer dashboard, which allows an employer to send either an SMS or an email to their employees with a unique URL, which allows their employees to click on and have access to essentially a monitoring, safe and secure monitoring system that allows them on the one hand to know, to have a sense of the well-being of their employees, but also in other cases to be connected with the rules for the local region. For example, if you're a global em employer, you might not know, right? And you have five, 600,000 employees all over the world. You might have 30,000 in the Philippines, but you don't exactly know what the rules are for the specific, for the country, for the Philippines, but also even maybe sometimes for the specific city, right? Some cities might be on lockdown, others might not be. And it's difficult for those companies at a corporate level to just make those decisions. Of course, they want the best for their employees, despite the, their best intentions. Sometimes it's just hard to know exactly the reality on the ground. So that's the type of system that enables that to happen. How is this going to endure, whether the COVID-19 pandemic ends or not? I think it has felt like a lifetime that we've been in this lockdown, particularly in the Philippines. And while the pandemic may look like the beginning of the end, I think what we need to be prepared for is the second wave. You're starting to hear talk about that second wave in China. You see a second wave happening in Singapore, which has caused another lockdown. I think you're seeing experts also talk about a second wave happening towards the end of the year in the U.S. and coinciding with the flu season. So while this first wave of the pandemic may be at the beginning of its end, I think globally experts are warning us that we need to be prepared for that second wave. And that second wave can really come at any time. If you think about it from an economic perspective, it can be even more disastrous than the havoc created by the first wave. So I think it's important that we have a surveillance and monitoring system now so that from a behavior perspective, particularly in the Philippines, reporting this data and looking at this data becomes a part of our day-to-day -day life so that we don't have to go into this massive countrywide lockdown like we've been in for the last seven weeks because that has a detrimental effect on people's lives, people's jobs, their ability to earn, their ability to feed their family. If you see what's also happening at the government level, the government is literally running out of money to fund efforts to help people. It's taking on additional debt. It's taking on loans. Corporations seem like they may be getting to the beginning of donor fatigue, right? The only way to prevent another national lockdown, which may be even more extreme than the one that we're in today, 
is to have a surveillance system that is using all of the data that we are capturing, but we're capturing it offline and we're not using it to drive a better set of policies that don't impact everyone as a whole. So I think this is why it's important. The first wave is coming to an end. This is not the time to kind of rest on our laurels and not act. If anything, this is the time to act and prepare for the next one. I'm pretty sure that there will be another wave that comes. And up until a vaccine is in the market and people are saying it can be 12 to 18 months, we have to be vigilant about monitoring and surveilling our people. If I can add, obviously, neither of us claim to have expertise in epidemic or vaccines, etc. But there are facts. And so these are not opinions. The global capacity for producing vaccine is very, very small compared to our global population. So even if we have the vaccine in 18 months, there's no way we're going to be able to create vaccines for everyone. There's no way we're going to be able to vaccinate everyone. So that second wave it might not be a fact. We still need to consult with the experts. I haven't heard the CDC in any way, shape, or form say that this is under question. Everyone is expecting it, and so we should brace ourselves for it. Um, one thing to note is that our effort is completely free and open source because these surveillance systems can very rapidly lose the trust of the public because the public might say, well, if this is controlled by a government or if this is controlled by a big corporation, what if this is controlled by a big U.S. corporation reaching out into the citizens of the Philippines, right? Who is to say that they have the best of intentions? So for us, from the start, we said this has to be a nonprofit and this has to be free and open source so that the source code can be audited by anybody. And we will have tens of thousands of developers who will be able to read it and hundreds of developers who will be also able to contribute to it and improve it over time. Have you done any measures to get the government involved? Certainly from an employer perspective, we need their support, but they also need these tools. But I think more importantly, from a public health perspective, whether at the national level, whether at the city level and or at the barangay level, yeah. I think implementing a system like this, and I think you've used it, you've seen how easy it is to use. You've probably gotten the daily SMS alerts that remind you to enter in your data. I think our intent being here is to begin to drive awareness to the existence of COVID Sentinel and the benefits it can provide to public health policymakers and decision makers on how to implement a system like this that can allow them, again, to not have to do these draconian lockdown measures up until we either get to mass testing, which is going to be a long time and expensive, and or a vaccine, which will, again, take a long time to produce up until then having a monitoring system at a public health level, I think would be a great public good. And we're certainly going to be reaching out to public health policymakers in the Philippines soon to see how we can partner together with them. Speaking of public health policymakers, one congresswoman is actually pushing for ID health care. I've been following the universal health care law closely here in the Philippines. And while the law is in place, implementation and execution is always where the Philippines struggles. I think what's more important is how do we actually implement and execute it? Because there have been so many bills passed in Congress where it's a bill, it's a law, but it's either not properly funded, the government isn't providing budget allocation for it, or we're still writing the rules of implementation like we are in UHC. It's been like two years now. I think we should not think of the law 
and putting it into law as the solution. I think we have to move faster. And I think moving with speed should be a combination of policymakers in government and perhaps rather than a law, an executive order would be a faster way of implementing this type of surveillance system in coordination with the different business groups that are all advocating for the lockdown to ease and for us uh, to get back to work. So I think any policy that's created should not be done just solely by Congress. It should really be done in close coordination with business groups. And we should think about a way to implement rather than craft policy. I can see that this technology, the system is actually easy to use, especially the patient dashboard. But is there any advice that you can give to the older population who is actually more hesitant when it comes to technology? Maybe I can answer that one. Because in the last seven weeks, what's happened in the Philippines that I've seen is we've gone from people fearing technology or thinking it's too hard to learn, it's too expensive, to technology being needed for survival, right? Now, if you're not able to use technology, you can't buy food. If you're not able to use technology, it's hard for you to receive or send money because you don't want to go to the bank. So what I think, particularly for the older population, 40, 50, 60, is in the last seven weeks, they've now been trained on how to use technology. And I think the biggest sign of that is everyone is using Zoom, right? Zoom is not necessarily the easiest conference call platform. There's a lot easier ones like FaceTime. But you now see CEOs that were never on video calls. My mother-in-law, my father-in-law on Zoom, right? So I think the Philippines has talked about digitization for a long time. We've slowly begun to make progress on it. People have slowly begun to adopt e-commerce. We've slowly begun to use e-wallets. It's all changed in the last seven weeks. The Philippines moving forward will be a digital savvy country. And if anything, will be a digital first country, right? So I don't think we should think of our population anymore in, in those terms because they understand that if you are not leveraging technology, whether for an, as an individual or as a business, it's literally now a matter of survival and life or death. So in these types of conditions, people adapt, people learn, you know, as they've done over the last seven weeks. Could you explain the sewerage tracker of COVID Sentinel? The biggest problem currently is the lack of testing. And this is going to continue to be a problem in the future. So we don't exactly know the extent to which the virus has spread. Even in California, right, they did a test. It was in the Nature Journal in Santa Clara, where they tested over 3,000 people. What they found out was that one out of every 66 people who had the antibodies, which suggests that in reality, the number of people who have potentially contacted the disease is 50 times more than, uh, than the number of people who have tested positive. Now, there's a few problems with that, of course, because on the one hand, just because you have the antibodies doesn't necessarily mean that you have had COVID because the test is not perfect. In addition, just because you have antibodies doesn't mean that if you had COVID, you couldn't be seriously sick from it. And so this is a real concern. There is no clear answer to how to do this, right? Unfortunately, there's no app right now that you just poke your finger and it tells you whether you have it or whether if you were to get it, you're at risk. So more information is better. And one way to get at more information is sewage. And it has been demonstrated that you can detect uh, viruses 
as long as they're stable for long enough inside sewage water, inside feces. And in the case of COVID, it is, fortunately or unfortunately, it is a very stable virus. And it takes about six to 12 hours, depending on the city, to go from people's homes to the sewage treatment plant, which means that now we have a very, very good pulse on the rate of spread of the disease. And this is obviously for COVID, but there are other strains of sicknesses that we could detect. Of course, it has to be diseases or viruses that are stable in sewage water. In fact, all sewage plants will test their water daily, if not several times a day. So this is merely just a matter of making sure that labs who can test it are connected to those places because sewage treatment plants are just not equipped to test for that, right? They can't extract the RNA. They don't do that kind of, on the other hand, hospitals or research universities would likely have this equipment. So it's merely a, a matter of connecting it. And our platform does the logistics for that. When was this sample taken? And just tracking that so that putting a QR code to track it over time, over its journey, so that when somebody finally in the lab gets the results 12 hours later, they know how to report it so that that information goes through government. That's the element that we facilitate. We eliminate confusion. We eliminate emails. We eliminate a lot of those problems. What I'll add is I think being able to test at the sewage level then allows us to really monitor and get ahead of future outbreaks. When you begin to detect the virus in sewage, then you can begin at a barangay level. And then at the barangay level, the barangay and or city can then begin to implement some form of quarantine or general community quarantine or enhanced community quarantine based off of these either daily or weekly pulse checks that the system and the people already testing the water are doing. So I think, you know, when you think about that word sentinel, being able to monitor not just people, but being able to monitor groups of people, the barangay level via sewer system, I think would allow us, again, to implement policies that would quarantine smaller groups of people rather than this, again, group and mass quarantine uh, that we're in right now that has a, you know, I think it's wreaking havoc on our economy. One of the things that was brought up earlier was there's a dashboard for employers. Could you expound further what makes this dashboard necessary for them to have? Everyone today is kind of talking about mass testing. In the Philippines, we're so far away from mass testing because of cost, logistics, and it seems like mass testing is the solution that either government and or business is driving towards in order to begin to bring people back to work. I think up until we can get to that point, which we may never get to, what I'm seeing that government is doing is government is saying employers take charge. Employers either test your people and or implement systems. Today, I'm talking to many different BPOs. They built a very rudimentary Google Forms where people are self-reporting how they feel. Maybe they're self-reporting their temperature. They're self-reporting their systems. So they're beginning to already think about how do I monitor and surveil my people so that when someone shows symptoms, we can immediately isolate, quarantine that individual so that they don't infect the rest of the population. When we think about how do we actually get back to work, I think being able to implement a system like COVID Sentinel, probably the easiest and most critical way for us to be able to get population level data employer level data about how our employees are doing 
how they're feeling and whether or not we need to begin to isolate individual populations, individual groups, individual teams that may be showing symptoms of COVID. If we're all waiting for mass testing, if we're all waiting for a vaccine, we're going to be suffering as an economy. Much cheaper, a much more cost-effective solution is a COVID sentinel that will allow us to track, to monitor, and to isolate individuals and teams who may be showing symptoms so that the rest of the business is not affected. And it doesn't cost them anything. I was going to add to Paul's points that affordability is absolutely key. But another aspect of this is also speed. They have solutions like Google spreadsheets, like emails, etc. But these solutions are not fast and they're not robust. And it's more likely to have mistakes. How do you aggregate hundreds of emails together? That's a very laborious task that's prone to errors. And when you go to solutions like Google spreadsheets, where people insert and fill it out, then it's also very insecure because now you're exposing hundreds of people's very sensitive information to the whole company. So our system is much more professional, much more securely built, much faster and affordable so that enterprises can use it and bring people back to work quickly. We were chatting with the Ayala group and they've implemented their own kind of version of a monitoring system. And I guess what makes them unique is the person that we were talking to was their chief data scientist. How many small companies, how many big companies have data scientists in-house who can crunch through all of the data that the employees are producing as they're self-reporting. To Danny's point, I think being able to do it quickly, being able to do it cheaply, being able to do it securely, and being able to do it robustly is what COVID Sentinel provides for employers so that they can begin to monitor and track the health and well-being of their employees. How is this COVID Sentinel system useful, especially for right now? I'll take a first crack at it. What makes COVID useful now and necessary? Well, I think right now is the new normal. The world that we lived in, December 31, 2019, no longer exists. We are now in a world where social distancing, pandemics are going to be part of our day-to-day life. And the only way to prepare for that, the only way to have a plan and ensure that a virus like this does not pose the same health threat or economic threat is to have a system that can detect a virus as soon as it's beginning to spread. So we are living in a new normal and a new normal requires new tools, new behaviors and new policy so that we are not threatened economically and physically like we are being threatened today by COVID-19. From a business perspective, this is where it's most needed. Again, up until we can get to mass testing and or a vaccine, our businesses are essentially flying blind. Our businesses can easily be overwhelmed by another outbreak. Having a sentinel system is critical now so that we don't revert back to an enhanced community quarantine This is why it's critical to begin to do this now. This is why it's also critical from a behavior perspective, get into the mode of constantly monitoring and self-reporting how we feel so that policymakers, business leaders have the ability to look at this data and then make informed decisions about how to take care of their people. If we have data about how people are feeling, 
at a much greater level than we have today because, again, testing is very minimal. Then we can begin to identify and potentially predict where a future outbreak may be about to occur. Because you may begin to see this team, this barangay, they're beginning to develop some symptoms. There are some elevated temperatures the system is seeing. There's people with a sore throat that are being reported in this area. Imagine having that data so that you can begin to identify, quickly act, and isolate so that the entire organization, the entire city, the entire country isn't affected by another enhanced community quarantine. That enhanced community quarantine is able to be zoomed in at an individual level and maybe at a barangay level rather than the city and national level that we're in. The only way to do that is to have a monitoring system that allows us to gather those insights and make informed decisions. Up until then, flying blind, we're potentially vulnerable to another outbreak and that outbreak would then result in another quarantine which can have a disastrous set of effects for the economy, the national budget, for social stability. How do we make COVID Sentinel have a farther reach across most areas in the country? Because internet is not really so much of a problem here in urbanized areas. But of course, there are the far-flung areas. So how do we allow people to have access to this system? If you can access Facebook, you can access Messenger, you can access COVID Sentinel. Again, I think we're living in a different world now where technology is pervasive. While internet access penetration isn't 100%, it's fairly close. They may not be online all the time, but they're able to get online. It's very different than it was five years ago, even three years ago, certainly 10 years ago. So I think as long as people have access to Facebook, as long as people have access to Messenger, and I, I believe Danny is going to be building this into Facebook Messenger, you're going to be able to access this tool to monitor yourself and to allow the decision makers in your vicinity to have the data that they need to make informed policy decisions. Because right now, we're just guessing. We're all guessing. And guessing is a dangerous game when people's lives are at stake. And that concludes another episode of B-Side. Once again, you heard tech entrepreneurs Paul Rivera and Danny Castonguay talking with Business World reporter Jillian Cortez about COVID Sentinel AI, their latest project. They're advocating for a system that can make better use of data to detect threats as soon as they're beginning to spread. The new normal, they say, demands new tools. Without a surveillance and monitoring system in place, Paul and Danny think that policymakers and business leaders are flying blind. This episode was recorded remotely on April 28. This is Samuel Marcello. Thanks for listening. <laughs>